0: On this week's episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, Michael Johnson of the podcast Magic for Life turns the tables and interviews me. So yes, me. I think you'll agree it's just absolutely fascinating. You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart. Where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams. So sit back and relax, or sit up and get excited. Either way, you might want to pay attention. This could be important.
1: What's up, everybody? Thank you so much, Doug, for inviting me to come and interview you. I am so excited to be here.
0: Well, thank you for agreeing to come and interview me for the Essential Coaching Skills podcast. And yeah, it's a, it's a little turnaround here, but it's, it's, a, it's a fun idea that you had. I'll just point out that it was your Absolutely. idea yeah. to do this. But uh, well,
1: It's so fun to hear you uh, go in and, and talk to all of the great people you've had on the show already. And, uh, you know, as I am a fan as well, I, I thought, gosh, you know, it's only fair if we get to hear from you. You should be interviewed on the Essential Coaching Podcast because you are an essential part of it. So if you're listening to this, you already know that. So here we go. <laughs> We're going to jump in and, and get to some of the, the juicy details uh, behind the scenes. So uh, I mm-hmm. wanted to start off by talking to you about your backstory and just some of the things that I know about you from – you know, being around, but maybe others don't. But you started off as a musician before getting into this coaching realm and you did some coaching there too. Tell us about that backstory there.
0: Okay, well, you know, I, I fairly typical suburban childhood, I guess, whatever, but I, I got into playing music and decided that's what I wanted to do. And so I went to, to school, for I, I auditioned and got into a, a you know, a small college, but it still was a music department in the State University of New York system up in Fredonia. And um, and decided that's really what I wanted wanted to do. So I, I put extra effort in. I spent an extra year at university. I went to England for a year, studied at the Guildhall School of Music and Drama, studying piano and composition there. And then I came back. And of course, after having spent all that time in, you know studying classical music, the next logical step was, I mean, I guess... It's obvious to most people listening, but I, I moved to New York City and joined a punk rock band, which, you know, total logical of course.
1: Next step. Was yeah. your hair long though? Was it? Like- My hair was
0: not long. Okay. It was. Different than it is now, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know if long is exactly the right description.
1: Well, I'm sure we can attribute uh, <laughs> the blue and purple that is so trendy today to your roots, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, my roots are showing. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm um, but yeah, no, in, in college, I had long hair. College, I was kind of a hippie, Oh um, which is, of course, again, not exactly what you'd expect. You know, a hippie to be going into punk rock, but uh, but when I got to, to New York, then the hair changed considerably. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I sometimes got mistaken for like Billy Idol. Oh, um, nice! Or at least, are you Billy Idol's brother? It's like, yes, <laughs> yes, I am. It's, it's all this. This hair runs in the family. This is the Idol look. Oh um,
1: yeah, I'm yeah. sure you had to do many autographs too. Mm,
0: yeah, <laughs> John Idol.
1: Well, so what kind of in in your punk rock uh, music, what kind of um, music would you say it was closest to? Like, if we were listening to something on the radio, we'd go, Oh, yeah, that was kind of like what Doug was playing at the time.
0: Well, you know, interestingly, the punk rock thing actually only lasted for about a year. Um, it's a tough, uh, hard, hardcore is hardcore. It was like, you know, slash really loud, um, <laughs> fast, play as fast as you know, play the G chord as many times as you can in the next 40 seconds. And, oh! <clears throat> As fast as you can, and so it wasn't. It it off. It made me learn a whole different piano technique. I'll I'll tell you that. But um, (laughs) but but the lead singer and I um kind of said we can't do this much longer, and um, sort of segued out from to being more of a new new wave band. So then you got the you know, you know the shoulder pads and the the, then the hair got a little longer and more of a what do they call that cut? Where it's long in the back and short on the sides, uh, a mullet, mullet. <laughs> a mullet of a 80s mullet look. Yeah. I, I hide pictures of <laughs> those times. Um, but yeah, it was it was fun. So we were playing instead of places like, um, a seven, which was on the corner of Avenue A and seventh street in the East village, CBGBs. We played places like, um, studio 54 and, and, uh, discos like uh Red Parrot and Xenon and stuff like that. So it was really kinda cool. I remember you know, it's interesting though, because people didn't quite know what to make of us when we played places like these big discos in the eighties. Um, we'd we'd come out and uh people would just stop dancing and watch us. And then <laughs> we we thought we <laughs> were a dance band, but we <laughs> would just everyone would just stop and Watch us, and then or go get drinks or whatever, and then um, as soon as we were done, they'd like put Michael Jackson back on or whatever it was, and and people just flocked to the dance floor and start dancing again. It was it was kind of <laughs> weird. So we were just an oddity, little you know, momentary digression, but it was fun. It was fun. So but, uh, happened- yeah, we recorded. Sorry.
1: So what happened then on the, like, what happened in your world that got you to start to make a shift? Like, you, you clearly needed to... Oh, well, you know,
0: a funny things. funny thing happened. Somebody dragged me to a Tony Robbins seminar. I, I had never heard of this guy. I heard of him through the people that dragged me there. But um, I, I wasn't interested in this kind of thing. I really wasn't. I was... They, they almost made me go. But I was surprised how interesting it was this firewalk thing. Tony Robbins just keep in mind back in 1985 was an unknown quantity. He was like a 24 year old kid just starting out. He had no books. He had nothing at all. Um, he literally did the first seminar in New York City at a like a New Life Expo thing in, in, uh near Grand near uh, Penn Station. It was it was like th- I don't know, 200 people, maybe, at the first one, you know, maybe. That, that, that was considered a good crowd back then. So by the time I did it, they were getting the, probably the 250 mark for people in attendance for the weekend. Um, but what he was doing, he was teaching NLP. The firewalk experience was a an evidence procedure that NLP worked, that if you did these NLP procedures, like keep your eyes up, and, you know, so you access the visual and you say things to yourself like, cool moss, cool moss, instead of "oh." shit my feet are burning you know instead of you know if you did those things then you could do seemingly impossible things he he said he had used nlp to model a firewalker and so now he was teaching us the model that he would made of firewalking um using nlp and then because obviously nlp was so cool i had to stay and learn more about nlp so i stayed for the whole weekend and you know took nlp 101 basically and then i i wanted to be certified like everybody else in the room i wanted to go to the next step i wanted to get certified in nlp so i did later that year in october of 1985 i took my first nlp certification course from tony robbins and he brought other people there like richard bandler who invented nlp and and robert diltz who's one of the main co-developers of nlp and other people like dave dobson who was a you know what I thought was an Ericksonian hypnotherapist. Up to that point, people had mentioned Erickson a lot and said, yeah, yeah, he was an amazing hypnotherapist and just told stories and people would go into trance without knowing that anything was happening and then did change without knowing why they changed. And so that's basically what Dobson did. So I assumed he was an Ericksonian. Later, after studying with him a bit, he said, no, no, I, I developed what I do separately and independently from Milton Erickson, and it's different. And it is a bit. But that's also very, very much the same. <laughs> so I found that out as I studied. You know, as a musician, I wasn't certified in and uh, I wasn't I wasn't licensed. I wasn't I didn't have appropriate college degrees yeah. to get yeah. into you know courses taught by the Ericksonian Society or whomever else. Um, so I had to sort of get through the back door as much as I could to get into those classes. But when I did, I, I thought this is an awful lot. Like what Dobson said, he did, even though he says it was different. Pretty much the same, as far as i was concerned.
1: Well, you know, there's—I uh, happen to know a little bit extra, so I'm going to kind of dig that out a little for the audience. Uh, there was uh, there was a girl involved in this whole. Yeah,
0: his ex ex girlfriend.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and there was some uh, motivation. Tell me about what Don't happened. It. <laughs> <with
0: that. laughs> it was typical leverage in a relationship. <laughs> Um, you're going to go to the seminar or, you know, you're never going to see me again or something like that. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Girls. Girls. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it worked though. And I'm I'm grateful. Grateful that it worked out that way.
1: Nice. Nice path to end up down uh, yeah. because of it. Right. And uh, so what, what really was that call? Like, I mean, you, yeah, you saw the firewalk. You saw Tony. You kind of ended up down well, that path. I, I but- saw
0: the promise that the the things, if I learned them and applied them to what I felt was important to me at the time, um, I could be better at the things that I was doing. Just as an example, when I when I went to see certain people play the piano, like Chick Corea or, or um, Keith Jarrett or something like that, it was always like, a, oh my god, how. Did- I'll never be like that. I could never do that. And then after I learned NLP and learned that you could model people like that, I thought, wow, I could do that. You know, and I started to f- try to figure out how I could do that. How could I apply what I'd learned from the NLP to, to being a better musician or being a better marathon runner? I was very much into trying to, you know, qualify for the Boston Marathon by running a, a marathon fast enough to meet those requirements. So I was doing a lot of that. So I wanted to, you know, model other runners who had done that. You know, find an exemplar, find somebody whose whose abilities are what you want to emulate, and then do what they do and think the way they think and talk to yourself the way they talk to themselves and basically do the, the modeling that Tony Robbins had uh said that he had done.
1: Yeah, it's cool stuff. The uh what do you think was the big thing that you were sort of fighting against in that process. I mean, like everybody kind of goes to that journey uh, and especially for those coaches out there listening, I think maybe some of them are there. Um, but what was the big pushback during that time when you were learning and trying to get into that range where you could use it to help somebody?
0: Well, what, I'm not sure if I'm completely understanding the question, but I'll, t- I'll tell you that the way that it started to work, that I started making money at it and doing it professionally was um, I was doing it for myself. I'd had some issues with panic attacks and trying to quit certain substances, et cetera. Um, yeah. and, I, and I succeeded much much more rapidly than mm-hmm. I had ever done in any sort of therapy that I'd gone to, therapists that I'd gone to. So I, I started seeing these changes and noticing what I could do. And I, I, when people say, hey, what are you doing? Things are looking pretty good. i said, well, I'm doing this. And I could help you with that if you want. Or somebody would come to me and say, wow, I understand you've helped my friend quit smoking. Can you help me quit smoking? And I said, sure. And said, how much do you charge? I went like, um, $50. And they go like, wow, is that all? I said, did I, I meant $150. (laughs) 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 And that was probably the the thing that started me thinking I can do this professionally. Because, you know, making money as a musician was hard. Um, you know, as a piano teacher or a, I, I played organ at a church for a while. You know, there's lots of gigs I took. I played, accompanied a lot of singers at uh, cabarets and stuff like that. A lot of accompaniment for rehearsals. Um, but it's it's a tough slog and you don't get a lot of money for it. Um, and I was getting 150 bucks for sitting and talking to a person for an hour. It's like, okay, yeah, I'll do that. That sounds good. And plus it was very satisfying as well because they often would come to me and say, I've tried everything. I can't do it. And, you know, to be able to have the skills to say, I can help you with that. You know, it was very satisfying.
1: Yeah. There's no doubt. And, and for all the, the coaches out there listening, I think there's easily places and times where you're looking at it and going, I know I can help these people. Like I have this information, I have this knowledge that I've gained, but should I really be like charging them? Should I I, like be, I'll just come, I'll help you. You know, like what would you say to those people that that are doing that?
0: Oh, I'd say that's very nice of you. Keep up the good work. (laughs) 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 Or, (laughs) (laughs) if if you want to be professional, you could um, actually help them even more by charging the money. Because I actually think that there is a, a a funny thing about that that if people are are needing to invest in themselves to a certain level of whether it's money or whatever but let's just talk money but if they have to do that it's an exchange of energy and they they are more invested in the change that works much better if they, then ironically the more that you charge them the more they put value on the service and it's much more likely to be effective for them.
1: Yeah, I hear that all the time. What my, one of my mentors always said, uh, you pay attention to what you pay for. Mm. <laughs> and you uh, see Let me just write that down. That's a good little. It <laughs> seems true, right? <laughs> um, so along this path, did you ever have a moment where it was, you know, you're making this switch to coaching where you thought, gosh, you know, what happens if I don't succeed at this? Like what, what do I do if this coaching thing doesn't work out? Right. You had the No, I never thought that.
0: I think perhaps, perhaps because I was coming from a background of being a musician and I was still a musician, I could do those things. I never thought I would, you know, go belly up if I couldn't do it. I would just do that too. I I always said kind of basically multiple streams of income, which I think is a good formula, you know? So if, multiple streams of income you, you can you get money for doing this you get money for doing that you get money for doing the other thing you know so i was uh, for years i still taught piano i taught piano th- through the 90s at the brooklyn conservatory of music and other places privately i still played gigs people still re- i didn't advertise i didn't push for it but people remembered me from the last time i played their you know their gala or something like that so i i played this year's gala you know i so said dust off the old tux and go play the piano for a few times it was fun i I played piano at a thing for mayor giuliani back in in the 90s um i didn't much care for him particularly as a politician but it was fun to be playing at the gala where everybody was like oh oh, mayor giuliani and you know people eating their little canaps or whatever those are called (laughs) drinking cocktails and it'd be me behind the piano it's kind of fun so um I did that all the way through the 90s while I was already pursuing my coaching career. While I was already teaching classes in sleight of mouth, while I was already doing NLP certification courses, I, I did those other things as well. So I did private sessions with one-on-one with people, you know, quitting smoking, et cetera, um, taught classes. I um, wrote books and started selling tapes and things. And so I, I had multiple streams of income.
1: It's crazy. And I, I remember connecting with you uh you know back in those days and uh and your love and passion for it were like so clear and so obvious like I just felt like it was such an easy thing to be like here take my money please you know (laughs) And, and uh and it was easy and you you have always had this great um vibe about you. And that, that is cool. So for those of you that haven't worked with Doug, you're going to find a way. I mean, that's why you're here listening right now. Mm -hmm. Um, You had mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, on this path that you've been on, you've just learned from so many of these wonderful, great coaches and influencers in our industry. But along the way, who, who was it that was really the person that you would say, maybe it was like two or three, but Uh, but can you identify like who was the guide? Who was your main person that you were like, okay, yeah, I'm going to go this direction. I mean, I know you've mentioned a ton of them, but, but like, who would you attribute uh, maybe the greatest impact uh, on your coaching thus far? And my coaching and my coaching. Well, the coaching coaching and your education and what you teach, because you, you have such a breadth of, knowledge and what you teach is so, um, well-rounded. Like it just, it, I feel like every time I've learned and been in one of your courses and your classes, uh, just, it, it, I feel like I get things from a lot of different angles, but, but do you feel like it's influenced more heavily by one, uh, of your mentors or coaches more than another?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Probably. Um, <laughs> I don't know specifically who, but, um, you know, the, I, I'll tell you that, you know, Tony Robbins was a, a big influence on in me, certainly early on. Um, and what was interesting about it, because I went to that certification course back in 85 and then again in 86, and then I got to be a trainer for Tony in 87 and became a master trainer in 88 and, uh, or maybe it was 89, I'm not sure, but at any rate, um, I met a lot of these, these guys. You know, I told you Richard Bandler was there, Robert Diltz was there, Ted James came, um, met Wyatt Woodsmall and, you know, all these great people. And um decided well gosh, it's amazing. I thought Tony Robbins made up this. People called it Tony's technology. But you know, clearly he didn't. And this Richard Bandler guy is totally different from Tony, and Robert Diltz <laughs> is totally different from Tony, and Dave Dobson is totally different from Tony. So, um why don't I learn from them too so i went off and you know did nlp certification courses with multiple people and NLP, master practitioners with multiple people and saw saw different approaches to it some i liked better than others some i thought were refinements or just clearer mm-hmm. explanations or whatever but i i decided to pick the best i figured you know if all those guys can do it in their own way then i'll do it in my own way and find out you know what I think is the best of this and past of that and, you know, cherry pick, if you will, um, the best approaches. Um, and like I said, Dave Dobson was a huge influence as well. And um, when I started learning more about Ericksonian, not just Dave Dobson's other than conscious communication, but um, actual Ericksonian stuff. Um, I, I went to, to a, a kind of mentor of, of mine. I don't know if he knew he was or not, but he was a guy who used to run the ropes courses for Tony Robbins. who was a, a wonderful man. And I said, who, who would you suggest that I, I work with to really learn Ericksonian hypnosis? Because he did it, but he didn't teach it. And he was really wonderful at it. Um, but he said, well, you know, I, I kind of like that Stephen Gilligan guy. And so I said, sold. I'll go. <laughs> with him as much as I can, so I, I've done a lot of work with Gilligan, and I'd say he's a pretty, pretty big influence on me. But I also, you know, I, I, at one point, I because I couldn't get into Ericksonian trainings, uh, Gilligan let me in, but most of them wouldn't. Um, I I actually found a workaround. I, I, I matriculated as a as a as a student. I I, joined, I got into a college as a psych major, a, a master's degree psych major. And I didn't actually attend any classes there, but um, <laughs> it was prior prior to the internet, but it was a like still what would now be a kind of an online training place. It was a university without walls. So it was all supposed to be, you know, done through the mails and phone or whatever. Um, but mostly the reason I did it is because not because I wanted to learn about the history of psychology or whatever because i wanted to have the credentials to to say they would let me in to their trainings so i did thank heavens get into lots of trainings by you know bill o'hanlon and ernest rossi and um some of the real greats in the ericksonian world um so i i really kind of met them all at one point or another ernest rossi was very exciting to learn unfortunately he just died just recently just passed on but um yeah, it was pretty exciting. And then uh, once I felt like I'd really gotten a handle on what I was looking to do and that I didn't really need to con- continue this degree at anymore, I just I, I let them know I would not be continuing with my <laughs> education that I had never actually started in the first place. But I did get into the seminars, and that was what's important. So I've studied with a lot of the people that I ever wanted to study with. And um, I don't great. have any degrees to show for it, but um, – it's there, the learning's there, which deemed well, sure. to be important.
1: Yeah. And, and from that, you've kind of created, like you said, your own sort of framework and your own way of doing it. And I, I remember going not... through your, uh, your courses uh, and trainings and, and just feeling like, Oh my gosh, you know, I'm not just learning the one thing I'm learning about it from a couple of different angles. And, and that was one yeah. of the things that I always appreciated because I, I feel like well, I feel like I'm the same way too. I I I want to know where it came from because I did the same exact thing. I I went to Anthony Robbins and was like, "Okay, where would he get this from? Come on now. <laughs> this is really cool, but where would he get this from?" Um, yeah. but uh it, you know, being able to work with you, I felt like uh it was so cool to just be able to understand it and and you have such a an amazing way of teaching all of this stuff. And us not feeling like we're drinking from a fire hose, and we mm. still, we we got through so much stuff. We always do in every one of your courses, but we but it never feels like oh my gosh, I think I'm gonna die. How am I gonna keep up with the notes? I gotta read these 17 more times. Like you usually come out of it, and you're going, yeah, I, I feel like I know that. Like I can do that. And uh, that's a huge testament, I'm sure, to all of the training and all of the education that you've gotten along the way.
0: I think I think part of that is, and Michael, I'm sure that you can also appreciate this, as you having been a dancer. Um, Part of this comes from you know being a piano player. You know, it it isn't enough for the teacher to say, "Here's how you play it. Listen to me. I'm going to do it really well, and then you do what I do." You know, it's like. No, that's not the measure of success. The measure of success is how well will the student do it at the end of the lesson or the end of the year of of classes. You know, you have to bring it out in them, bring it out in them. And the proof is in the pudding. Can they play the piece at the end of the semester or whatever? So for me, it was always about how do I make this accessible to the student? You know, teaching NLP, teaching hypnosis, teaching sleight of mouth. You know, how do I make it so that they can get it? And then by the time they're done, they can A do it and to know that they can do it and be confident enough to be able to do it out in the real world you know not just in the classroom but out with other clients and i will also tell you this um and i appreciate your your compliments very much it's it's very nice to hear um i do separate for myself the art of coaching from all this other stuff we've been talking about so far because i learned coaching in a Different circumstances. I was, I was actually at a seminar, I think it was 1993, where I was asked to give a talk on how to present a powerful, like, what do they call it? Like, uh, I don't even know what they call it, but it's a, um, inspirational, powerful, sort of presentation like that and I go like well i i don't know but i'll figure it out and i'll you want me to do a presentation i'll be happy to come to your conference and and give a talk so i i prepared it and um one of the other people at this thing was a guy named Thomas Leonard who was basically the the creator of coaching he he made up the field of before him you know coaches were you know softball or little league coaches or basketball coaches or football coaches Vince Lombardi springs to mind but you know He made life coaching as a thing. He made it up. And so I listened to him give this talk. I met him backstage briefly. Um, But I said, geez, it's so interesting. He's such a compelling person. I want to do this. So I spent several months on the phone with him and doing going through his coaching one, two, three and other seminars, you you know, on the telephone classes that he taught and um, got certified in coaching through that organization, but it's totally different. I think he he gleaned a lot from the um, forum and the Est Foundation or whatever. But turns out he was not in those organizations. He was the accountant for Werner Erhard. Oh my! <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and heard all this stuff and said, Wow, that's interesting. I could do that, and I I could apply that to you know people. So it's really kind of an interesting thing that he just created and then i started doing coaching just again like another of the multiple streams of income i thought well let's let's give it a go let's see how it works and it's been uh, quite a few years since i started and i get amazing coaching is great coaching is amazing actually so when thomas died it was i think a very tragic thing for him and for the field but boy did he contribute a lot before he went the very young age i think it's 47 or something like that when you died
1: well it's uh interesting because you know listening to those that have worked with you and and the people that you've influenced up to this point uh i think we're getting pretty dang close that we we've got to start calling uh, some of the stuff, the, the O'Brien strategies <laughs> or, you know, or, you know, it's gotta be the, the, the Doug method, you know, <laughs> cause you know, you, you do have a, a very particular way of, of going about it and it's very effective. And, uh, and so, you know, all of us were waiting on bated breath to, to get the, the Doug O'Brien strategies, <laughs> 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 what are you, um,
0: what are you baiting your breath with? As Are they weren't? Uh,
1: well, we won't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so along the way, you know, you've, um, uh, you've achieved and, and gotten all sorts of results for your clients, for your students. What do you, th- what of the results that you've attained that were maybe, uh, crazier than others what what do you think is uh, maybe two or three that stood out to you uh the most through the years of of things that were like wow yeah i did that that was really cool cuz i know that you wouldn't brag about it and i know that it's hard to get out but if i'm sitting here asking you'll probably tell <laughs> us <laughs> So don't be shy. What, right. what are some of the coolest things that you've uh, that you've accomplished uh, through the years, and some of the results that you've had with your clients?
0: Well, you know, that reminds me of a story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, mm-hmm. a long time ago, and I probably shouldn't be telling this. Just keep this between you and me. But um, I was at a Dave Dobson workshop. Gosh, long, long time ago, nineteen ninety. Let's just say um, long, long time ago. And and, um, and and Dave was telling a story about how when he was at or when he was he was giving, giving a seminar that Richard Bandler had attended or was in the audience for or whatever. And um, he was telling these stories about how when he was working with burn patients or doing this or in hospital situations, et cetera. And um, and according to Dave, according to my memory of what Dave said, let's put it that way. Um, Dave said that uh soon thereafter he heard Richard Bandler telling those same stories as if he had done them <laughs> and and you know there's there's talk about how sometimes that might have might have happened with Richard that he, he told great stories and you are never quite sure if they were true and apparently some of them were true but not having been from Richard anyway so according to Dave according to my memory of what Dave said Dave went to Richard afterwards and said God damn it, Richard! If you want some experience, go get some experience. So, um, <laughs> so I had an opportunity somewhere in nineteen around nineteen ninety four to to volunteer at a hospital where I was doing um, pre surgical hypnosis for patients heart heart patients under a guy named Doctor Oz, Doctor Mehmet Oz, who was, now has his own TV show and has gotten to be quite famous. Um, at the time, he was just a heart surgeon who did heart transplants and helped invent the what's it called the LVAD device, which is left ventricle assist device, which helped people, you know, live long enough to be able to get a heart transplant. So people whose left ventricle was failing, this would keep them alive until they could get a new pump. Um, he's a brilliant guy, Dr. Oz, people think he's just a TV guy. He's he's, he's brilliant guy. Anyway, I was fortunate enough to to work under his auspices in the hospital there as a hypnotist. And so I did a lot of work with patients prior to surgery and saw a lot of amazing things happen. I worked uh, not just with cancer, with uh, uh, cardiothoracic patients, but also did some cancer work and some other people. I was there for about five, six years. And um, during that period of time, I also had, when I was working towards a, a marathon, I was running a lot of marathons as I mentioned. Um I did a twenty mile run from my house in Brooklyn out to Coney Island and back. And uh after after I got back I was in the shower and I noticed this weirdly really weird bulge in my abdomen and had not been there previously and uh went to a doctor a day or so later and he said, Oh, that's a that's a hernia and I said, Oh, that's not good, right? Um what what are my options here? Can I you know any herbs I can take any yoga I can do, meditation work for this. And he said, um, well, basically, you've got two options. He said you can, you can have surgery now, or you could have surgery later. And I said, thanks a lot, doctor. That's, that's very amusing. Um, (laughs) Don't quit your day job. But yeah, that's good. So I said, um, well, as long as I had to have the surgery, I might as well make it interesting. So I, I found a a surgeon who was willing to do the operation without using any anesthesia. I was just going to use oh my hypnosis gosh. for the uh, anesthesia part of it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Put my money where my mouth is. Now, to be fair, um, the patients that i had been working with got anesthesia. You know, when I was doing hypnosis for pre surgical hypnosis purposes, they all got, it was called complementary medicine. It's since been changed to integrative medicine, but it was, it was in addition to, what they got, you know, through the traditional medical situation. So they got full anesthesia, of course. Um, but I, I wanted to see what happened without that. And, uh, um, I don't want to too, tell too much of the story, but I'll just say uh, I, I did most of the hypnosis on my own because uh, the hypnotist that I'd gotten to work with me, I, I didn't like her style that much. So I mostly did a lot of it right. on my own so I was listening to a tape that I'd recorded of my own and she was there too but um, mostly listening to myself because I, I preferred my style of hypnosis At any rate that was pretty cool and um, when I when it was finished one of the one of the suggestions within the, the tapes was that because um, it was literally by the way tapes in those days I was listening to a cassette <laughs> recording that, I, that <laughs> auto-reverse and as soon as it got to the end it played the other side and kept going back and forth wow. Um but one of the suggestions on the tape was that there would be minimal bleeding, just enough to keep the wound clean. And um, that is, in fact, what happened. It's a pretty standard suggestion wow. that I would give to pre-surgical you know, patients, and they often get good results as well. But the surgeon who was doing this hypnosis was just flabbergasted. She'd never seen anything like this. Um, Minimal I mean, they, wow. they usually go through three or four of these, you know, absorbent pads on the operating table and they just use the one that had put down in the first place and it really had very little on it. Um, and of course, because I was didn't have any general anesthesia, I got home and, uh, you know, off, off the operating table and walked out and got into a cab and went home which was a very painful operation, by the way. The operation wasn't bad, but going home in the cab was painful. You'd um, oh. <laughs> hit a bump or something. It's like, oh, please. Um, that was bad. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you literally got in a cab and went home. Nobody took you home.
0: Well, my wife was with me, but um, yeah. <laughs> oh, my god! I didn't own a car at that point in time, so it's in New York City, man. Come on.
1: Wow! Nobody
0: owns cars. It's too too much traffic.
1: Right, right. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, that's incredible. I, 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 you know, admire your courage. Maybe I doubt your judgment, but I admire your courage. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. It's kind okay. of an interesting um, little point because I, you know, the idea is uh, Dave Dobson referred to uh, pain management as. Uh, the Abbott and Costello method and that that uh, sort of joke is that he said you know Abbott and Costello were once in a movie where they're on a aircraft carrier in the South Pacific during World War II as soldiers as you know navy seamen and um they're swabbing the decks and and Bud looks at Abbott and says hey uh Abbott I, I I can I can bet you I can prove to you that I'm not here he says, get out of here! You're right in front of me. He said, no. I take my. I'm going to bet you. I bet you twenty bucks that I can. I proved to you I'm not here. He said, all right. I'll take your money. Go ahead. He said, well, let me ask you a question. Am I in San Francisco? He says, no. You're not in San Francisco. You're right here in front of me. He said, all right. All right. Great. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Um, second question. Am I in New York City? He said, clearly you're not in New York City. You're standing right here in front of me. Quit fooling around. He said, okay. Well, let's just establish. I'm not in San Francisco. I'm not in New York City. Some must mean I'm someplace else. And if I'm someplace else, then I can't be here, right? So give me my money. Let's go. Let's go. So that's the Abbott and Costello routine. Um, so basically, you go someplace else, you you leave your body in the operating room. And you go far, far away. So I was, I was at a beach in Hawaii, in my mind. And I'm um, doing lots of very absor- thought absorbing, attention absorbing activities. Um, while I was just relaxing and confident that my body was being well taken care of by a very competent surgeon. So, um, that's how it goes.
1: Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. I mean, and that, that's, uh, just, well, nobody's gonna say that, uh, you stole that story. Let's <laughs> <laughs> hope
0: I don't hear that from somebody else either.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll try to tell it in my own way and you'll hear it at my next seminar. because. Huh you know and you then do, another do. really
0: cool thing that I had uh, <laughs> over the years is that I I um I was hired by a guy that I knew from from Dave Dobson we were both students of Dave Dobsons at the same time a guy named John Morgan who had started these um seminars where he would go around the country and do smoking cessation and weight loss seminars and because he was an ex radio dj he figured out that certain times of the year the radio stations really don't get a lot of commercial uh customers so like january through march or so they're they're really hurting for airwaves so he made a deal with them i said i'll i'll make these commercials i'm a dj i I know how to make a good commercial and uh we'll share the proceeds and he made these deals with different radio stations throughout the country so he was doing this for a while but then he got tired of either either tired of traveling or his knees were hurting or some some reason but he hired me to do the hypnosis part while he did all the you know making the ads and doing the Deals with the radio stations, et cetera, so it was kind of fun for me to just just be the hypnotist, not have to do all the you know marketing and et cetera et cetera that one has to do and work like this, you know just to show up and do a seminar was kind of cool, so I spent another six, seven years doing that. I traveled the country wow. on his behalf, where yeah. I do um, you know the smallest seminar I ever did was four people. That was very painful, very difficult. But I did um, once for like you know, typically seventy-five to a hundred people at a shot, and sometimes up to you know three hundred people at a shot. When I do uh, a group hypnosis for weight loss or group hypnosis for smoking cessation, and it was really fun. It was really uh, a great learning experience.
1: Yeah, for sure. You've had so many different experiences along the way and, and we probably could go on. And I, I'm sure the audience is going to beg you to do this again so we can <laughs> hear more stories like this because honestly, I could listen to your stories and <clears throat> and I have for years. Um, and, <laughs> and we could keep doing that. But uh, I want to kind of get into uh, a little bit about what you feel like You know, we're obviously talking about coaching and we're talking about using an LP and hypnosis and different things. Uh, But what do you feel like the biggest transformation for you individually has been through all these years of learning all of this stuff and bringing in different pieces of information, helping other people? What do you feel like is the biggest transformation for you uh, at this stage in the game?
0: Hmm. Wow. You ask tough questions. (laughs) I'm a tough cookie. (laughs) 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 <laughs> biggest transformation for me. Wow, that's a tough one. Um, gosh, I don't know, I think maybe um, hmm. I think one of the most important ones, I don't know if it's the biggest, but for me, it's the most important ones is to just to have this sort of um, self acceptance that um, I didn't have to be Tony Robbins, or I didn't have to be Milton Erickson, or I didn't have to be, you know, these wonderful, great people that I've worked with um, in order to have value, in order to be able to say you know, yeah, well this is this is the way I dance uh, this is the way I sing, you know, this is my song um, and to let that be okay and I think it is okay, I think it's okay for anybody, I think it's okay for everybody, you, that, you know, there are rare individuals, like Tony Robbins is amazing, you know, there's, I don't think anybody can do seminars like Tony Robbins does doesn't mean you shouldn't do seminars you know you should do seminars or coaching or whatever else you should have your way of doing it and when i sort of got comfortable with myself doing that i think that was a a huge a huge change you know yeah
1: i i feel like that's that's such a big thing for all of us right because it's it's so easy to to say those exact things like well tony's already doing it like why why would i do that and and i can easily say well, thank goodness for you in my world and uh that's part of why i had reached out to you and said hey let's do this interview so that uh so that maybe some of the people that are here uh that are new with your podcast and with your teachings can uh, learn some more about you because for me uh, you were huge and you are huge in my world. And I know Mm -hmm. with so many of us uh, coaches out there and, and people, even if they're not coaches uh, have been influenced so greatly uh, by your teachings and by what you're doing. And not because you were um, you know, Tony or any of those other guys, but because you were you and because you taught it to us the way that, that uh, you saw fit and, that was the piece that was amazing. And so uh, if any of you are out there uh, listening to this, maybe you're listening to Doug for the first time or you've just gotten into the podcast, uh, he's the real deal. And you need to go and, and jump in and get involved with the things that he's doing. And um, and I know that for for a positive. So that being said, I want to ask you to talk to us about all of the things not just some of the things but i'd like to know about all of the things that you're up to uh and and what you're doing these days because uh you know i know times change and, and different products and services that you do come and go so what kind of things you've got going on and and tell us all about what's happening in your world that that we can all jump in and get to be a part of
0: um gosh i i'm thank you thank you for that it's um it's, uh, it should not be hard to answer, but um, it is pretty <laughs> um, Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've got this thing that I'm doing called Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, and I think people would probably enjoy listening to that. And, um, but in, in addition to the podcast, there's a, also a seminar site called uh, EssentialCoachingSkills.com where I, it's a membership site. It's a membership site, so people join. And they can uh, join at a variety of different levels um, and get stuff so at the basic level, the real basic level, they get access to virtually everything I've ever done um, everything I've ever taught or made into a product you know book and uh, PDF of the book of course of um, recordings I've done, hypnosis recordings that I've done, um, classes that I've taught classes that I've sponsored like Frank Fairley's two-day workshop is in there it's all in this massive library that continues to get bigger by the way i keep adding more things to it as i unearth them in my storage unit and then digitize them and put them in there etc um it's ever ever growing every newsletter that i've ever written has been um digitized i've spent the time and effort to you know take the the sleight of mouth tips and put them into a file and Ericksonian language pattern tips and put them into a file. So it is it is a pretty massive library um, that you can have full access to. I, somebody told me, said, you know, take take all your stuff off the market. Don't sell things a la carte. People can have it all or nothing. And I said, well, <laughs> that's, that's pretty daring. He said, well, give it a shot. So I said. I'll I'll do that. I'll give it a shot. Up. So that's, <laughs> that's a shot of tech. So on the basic level people can do that. Second level is next level up is they can have all that plus I teach classes online on Zoom um 3 days a week. I teach Eric's. right now right now I'm teaching Ericksonian hypnosis and um I'm calling this thing uh the NLP pattern of the month. Cool. Going through. And again, I'm trying to do a little bit of what you did say before which is to do a deep dive on this pattern of the month thing i'm not i'm not trying to cram everything that i know about nlp into a, a weekend or something and we're we're taking our time so it's not quite necessarily pattern of the month it's like sometimes three weeks that we get to really focus and do a deep dive on you know change personal history process or something like that That's and then so cool. Yeah. And ultimately, it's going to be building up towards certification courses, people can actually get certified and get that piece of paper that uh, will, you know, show the world that they've, they've done the work. So that's, that's down the road further, but we're we're working towards that. And then there's a third level at the moment where we are also doing a mastermind group for if you want to sign up for that level as well. So it's been really beautiful, honestly, it's, it's, it's kind of developed this wonderful community and um, amazing people. Are in this thing, so that's a, a real wonderful thing that I'm I'm really grateful for. It's a real blessing. So it's awesome and yeah.
1: and so fun too. Uh, you know, we have just been so privileged to be able to be a part of uh, so many of those things, and uh, you guys are going to love it. Um, a lot of fun. Get Doug's stuff. You you know, get in there and and. Participate in this because uh, it's going to help you it doesn't matter what kind of coaching you're doing it doesn't matter what kind of training you're doing uh, you need these skills you need to add them so that uh, whatever group of people you're helping uh, you can actually bring these skills to the table and uh, and this is the place you need to be so i uh, I hope you guys go and check it out it's uh, it's at essential coaching is that right essential mm-hmm. coaching com essential
0: coaching skills
1: skills skills that's right essential coaching skills we'll put that uh, we'll make sure that's in the in the yes we will
0: and yes but thank you for, and I I do think part of the reasons I started it is because I do think some of these skills are in fact quite essential to coaching uh, it occurred to me somewhere along the line that while NLP didn't start coaching by any stretch of the imagination there are certain NLP skills like the meta model or anchoring or reframing, as an example. Honestly, I don't know how people can do coaching without those skills. Indeed. And and of course, they don't they do them, they just don't necessarily call them that people who are good at coaching are are clearly going to be asking, you know, good questions and, you know, uncovering what the deeper belief is, and they're they're going to do that. But it's NLP is just given a structure to so many of these things that we can, we can learn them faster and learned them to do them very effectively by learning these different skills. So that's that's why I started the whole thing. Essential Coaching Skills is that, that effort to make those things accessible to people.
1: Yeah, so cool. Well, you'll go check it out, essentialcoachingskills.com. And uh, of course, if you haven't liked and subscribed to the podcast, make sure you do that. Uh, we would love to see <laughs> the likes the subscribes, leave a comment. iTunes loves when you leave a comment because then they go tell everybody that Doug is amazing. And yeah, we want them all. If you haven't
0: noticed, Michael is my my um, podcast mentor here. So I'm learning a lot <laughs> from him, so. So, you know, Michael, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me on my own show.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's the way to go.
0: Asking me all those embarrassing questions, but I I really appreciate it. We'll
1: get to the embarrassing questions on the next time I interview. So for all of you listening, if you want me to ask more embarrassing questions, even though in the comment below and say, yes, we want to know more embarrassing things about Doug. That'd be great we 'll do it we 'll do a we 'll do a part two just no
0: for you. promises no promises <laughs> this is my podcast
1: i 'll bake him. just let me know i i i 'll do whatever i need to <laughs> anyway it 's been a pleasure thank you so much for letting me interview you and uh be part of of this cool journey, uh, and be part of all the stuff that you're creating. It's, it's just a pleasure to be here. And I know that everybody's excited to hear this, so I can hardly wait for them to participate. Thank you for being here. And thanks for having me, Doug.
0: Thank you. You're most kind. This has been the essential coaching skills podcast. Thank you for being here. It's a pleasure seeing you again. Hope to see you again real soon. Come back next week when we have another gripping and exciting episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. And if you want to, you can find out more about us, each and every one of us, at EssentialCoachingSkills.com. Thanks.